turning now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18 and verse 23. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 23. The words of Christ, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. The subject this evening is valid or invalid prayer. That's the subject. And we shall be looking at this particular parable beginning from verse 23. It is a lesson in prayer. And it's a lesson particularly about prayer for salvation. That's not the actual context. The context is that the uh, disciple Peter, future apostle Peter, had a query, and it was, how many times do we forgive a brother for some offense against us? How many times? And the answer of the Lord was, endless times, in effect. And then he told this parable. So it speaks to that subject. It does, yes, exhort Christian believers to have a patient, forgiving spirit. But it isn't the only purpose of the parable. It's far too elaborate a parable to answer only that question or illustrate only that matter. And its content is quite clearly intended more widely as a lesson in prayer. And that's how we'll look at it this evening. A lesson particularly in prayer for the forgiveness of God, for the new life which God gives to those who seek it from him. That's the subject we'll be looking at. And it begins here, uh, very uh, without introduction, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now I have to warn you, that uh, there's a certain amount to understand in the text here, which isn't immediately apparent to the casual reader. This is a king who is the, uh, featured in this parable. A certain king and his servants. Well, what kind of servants? Menial workers in the palace? Just domestic servants? What kind of servants? Well, when you read through the parable, you realize these are very lofty servants. Here is a man who owes his master 10,000 talents. That's a fantastic fortune. No way could that be owed by an ordinary laborer or worker or lowly servant, even in a king's palace. In fact, 10,000 is the largest number to be expressed in the Koine Greek. And it's usually used, um, well, in a very uh, general sense, where you and I would say that person is worth millions. In the Greek, it will appear as a rather specific figure. 10,000 
It's just a very big number, the way the number is used. Very seldom is it used with mathematical precision. And that's how it's used here. A talent of silver. Well, the experts tell us that a talent is 75 pounds weight of silver. 10,000 times 75 pounds weight is a fortune. There are various calculations for it. I don't know what, on what basis. One authority will say in roughly modern money it would be worth half a million pounds. Another authority says it would be worth between two and three million pounds. See, we're speaking in the realms of a fantastic sum of money. It's a parable. But at least we, we learn that the servant, though the word servant is used quite correctly, this servant is either, at the very least, the manager of a very large estate among the king's holdings, or even more likely, he's a regional governor. The kingdom is divided into regions, two, three, four, five, however many, depending on the size of the land or the kingdom, and each one has its own governor. They will still be termed servants of the king. That's more likely what we're looking at in this parable. It would have been apparent to the original hearers, but less apparent to us, because it speaks in terms of talents rather than real monetary money terms understood today. But that's what it is, a vast sum of money. A certain king which would take account of his servants, the king commands an audit of the regions. What's going on? Well, it seems to be suspected in the king's court, among his officers of state, that one, two, or three or more of the regions are not returning adequate tribute or homage. The way things were done in those days in the eastern lands is that the uh, land would be divided up into areas, and whoever was in charge of that area king's officer, servant, appointed as the regional governor, or if it was a big estate, the manager of an estate, well, he would collect the tribute, the money, levy it to the people, and from the mass that he would collect, he would pay his administration, he would take a cut himself, and he would forward so much to his sovereign, to the king. That's how it was done. But somewhere in the palace, authorities were saying, that region has an awful lot of working people and farms and prosperity and so on. Surely they should be returning far more. And suspicions were aroused. And so the unusual thing happened. A big audit was mounted. And that's what's going on. When he had, verse 24, begun to reckon... So we're looking at an unpayable debt coming up here. When he had begun to reckon, the audit was hardly underway. One was brought unto him. That's rather suggestive language. It sounds as though this regional governor 
was summoned, possibly even under arrest, possibly bound even at that stage. It was so obvious that there was fraud going on. It had become, with the audit, obvious that he should have returned vastly more than he did return. And he was swindling his king. And the officers, whoever, were sent to audit the affairs of that region, saw the luxury in which he lived, and his own retinue and servants and his self-indulgence and expensive lifestyle. So they hauled him in. And now he's in trouble. That's the picture of the parable. One was brought unto him, which owed him, and then there's the colossal sum, 10,000 talents. How do you run up a debt like that? That's massive. How did he do it? Was he gambling massively? What? Was he building places of his own here, there, and everywhere? Obviously, this man, this regional governor, area manager, whatever he might have been, obviously he didn't expect an audit. He was living his life, spending his money, swindling the king, and he didn't even think about it. It never crossed his mind. They could mount an examination. It's not been done in my lifetime. It's not the usual thing. It'll never happen. That was a thought that maybe just occasionally crossed his mind. And he dismissed it. But how he ever came to this impossible debt. And verse 25 tells us, for as much as he had not to pay, he couldn't pay, couldn't even begin to pay. His lord, the king, commanded, look at this humiliation coming up, commanded him to be sold, and also his wife and children to be sold, and all that he had to be sold, and payment to be made. He wouldn't get anything like the amount embezzled and taken. But that was the command. This regional governor, lofty manager, was going to be utterly humiliated and sold into service himself as a slave. And his family, what tragedy, what heartache, and all his property, he would be wiped out and he hadn't seen it coming. He'd never thought about it. That's the parable. Well, now you find his appeal for mercy, for clemency. And it's in verse 26. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, the king. That is to say, he fawned. The word translated worshipped in the Greek he, it means that you bow down to the ground to somebody and you fawn. It comes from the idea of kissing, kissing your dog, kissing its master, something like that. Self-abasement in front of the king, a tremendous act of humility. And these were his words, Lord, 
Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. How was he going to do that? That's impossible. How could he pay it back without he'd acquired it by fraud? He couldn't earn that. You just have to speculate. He really pleaded. And this was his plea. I will pay back everything. Yes, but this man's massively out of control. He, he obviously is minimizing the debt in his mind to think he could pay it back. And he's obviously greatly exaggerating his own ability to earn that kind of money or to be that worthwhile. He could never pay this debt. It's impossible. But even here, you can start to see where we are pictured because this parable pictures us. Here we are, given by God a great deal of responsibility and privilege. Every individual, whether we believe in him or whether we don't, we've been given so much by Almighty God. Even if we dismiss him, claim it doesn't exist, you've been given your life, you've been given consciousness, You've been given the capacity to enjoy things, the capacity to love and receive love. You've been given intelligence, a rational mind. You can think. You've been given the power of language. You can communicate and read and speak and listen. You can enter into all kinds of experiences. You're not an animal with great limitations. You're made a human being with unique and amazing capacities and tastes. And you've been given so much. Your health, your strength, the air you breathe, the food you eat. Everything has come to you from God. And you've been given a considerable license and liberty to live your life and to choose this and to choose that. It is amazing. You're like this man. And you've stolen it all for yourself. You've dismissed the giver. And you said, it's mine. As though you made yourself. As though you came about by freak or accident. It's mine to do as I please with. This life, to live as I like. To do what I want. To have what I want. To enjoy what I want. It's mine. I owe nothing to anyone. And there the Bible says, yes, but there's going to be an audit. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. It's a day when we have to face Almighty God, the giver. No, there isn't, we say. We dismiss it. We won't believe it. We turn away from the idea entirely. It'll never come. And it does come. And that's this parable. That's the picture of the man with great privileges which he abused. And he runs up this tremendous debt as we do. And he couldn't see it coming that there would have to be an audit. Well, here the man says, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And we say the same. 
Should it cross our minds? Should you have a sudden illness? And suddenly you're very worried? And it sounds serious? Why, you could die. And you've got a shock. And then, maybe for the first time, you think, but what is beyond the grave? Is there a God? Where do I stand? And these things may come to your mind and and you fear. Well, this debtor to his king, he said, I will pay everything. Because in his mind, he hadn't stolen anything like as much as he actually had. And it's the same with us. Oh, I've sinned. I've been a sinner, but I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as some people. And we talk ourselves into thinking, we'll probably pass. We'll get in. If there's a heaven, we'll be all right. We've done some good things. And if we live a bit longer, we can do a few more good things and make up for our deficiency. And we're as unrealistic as the man in the parable. He couldn't possibly. His debt was far greater than his mind seemed to take in. And he was incapable of repaying it. So he was in trouble. And we're in trouble before God. Because we're far worse than we think. You go through some of the sin lists in the Bible, talking about pride, talking about deceit and lies, talking about unkindness, talking about selfishness, talking about greed and covetousness, and all these things, and more still. And we've done them all. And we've offended God and we've broken his laws. And he must punish us. And we cannot make up for it. Not if we lived a million years and never sinned again. We cannot make up for it. Because we're fallen creatures. And we commit these sins. And we can only have the Lord if he forgives us freely. And gives us a new life and a new beginning. But like this man... We think we'll be all right. Now, as you go through, you see the wonderful compassion of the Lord in the parable, the king. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He had such pity for him. His regional governor was now to be utterly humiliated for his folly and for his crimes. And loosed him. That suggests he'd been bound and brought under arrest. And forgave him the debt. Well, he didn't actually forgive it just yet. He announced he would forgive it. He announced it. The debt wasn't cancelled yet. Because a few verses further on, This is rescinded. But he says, I will forgive you. 
And this is an insight into the mercy of God. Nothing would be required of the man. Nothing. He wouldn't have to earn. He wouldn't have to repay. It would be completely free forgiveness. The heart of the king was such, and his goodness and his mercy. In other words, the king would take the loss. Because somebody always has to pay a debt. Even if it's the person to whom the debt is owed, lets you off, well, he pays the debt. It cannot disappear. It has to be paid. The king met it himself. He took it on the chin, as it were, and suffered the loss. It's the same with the Lord. For God to forgive us freely, he must take the debt. He must pay the price. That's why Christ came and suffered and died on Calvary to take the punishment of sin on our behalf. He made an atonement for those who trust him. Well, this is the announcement. I will forgive you the entire debt. But it wasn't actually enacted, not yet. Verse 28, you see an insight into the servant's invalid prayer. He pleaded for, for help to be released with a promise to repay, though the king didn't require repayment. But look what happens next, verse 28. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, perhaps some officer who was responsible to him, which owed him a hundred pence. That's a very small sum by comparison to this man's own debt. A hundred talents. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. He was a senior person. I'm suggesting a regional governor, a lower-ranking officer of the king. He can take advantage of him in the rough world of those days. And he gets him by the throat. He dare not retaliate. He could be executed if he retaliated. And he speaks so roughly to him. Pay me. The implication is pay me now what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, and look at this in the parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, why this lesser servant uses exactly the same words as the regional manager used to the king. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. The difference is that the lower servant could feasibly have paid his debt, given time. It was at least a manageable sum for somebody in his position. He could have repaid it in time, 
But verse 30, the regional manager would not. If you can't pay now, then he used his evident rights under the law. He had him committed to prison until his property presumably was sold up and the debt was paid. He went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. What does this tell us about the regional manager's prayer? Well, it tells us first and foremost that in his plea for mercy from the king, he wasn't actually ashamed of what he'd done. He had no shame. His plea to the king was just to save his neck. He was fawning and pleading. What for? To survive, to not lose his position, to get a favor, making promises that he couldn't possibly keep. But there was a vital ingredient not in his plea or his prayer. There was no shame. If he'd been ashamed of the debt he'd run up, he couldn't possibly have treated his lower servants as harshly as he did, who owed him a much, much smaller sum. Impossible. It shows he had no shame, just the prayer of self-preservation or self-gain. That's the big difference between valid prayer and invalid prayer. If you come before the Lord for forgiveness of your sin and for a new life from Christ and a new heart and a place in heaven, reconciliation with your God, make sure you're ashamed of your sin. If there's no shame, the prayer isn't valid. Why, you'll only be praying because you want something. I want to pass my exam. I want to get over my illness. I want to prosper in this or in that, or get this job or this whatever. I want relief and help. I want to be happy. I want something. I'm not ashamed of my sin. I don't want the Lord I don't want his authority over me. I don't want my life to change. This regional manager had no intention of allowing his life to change. He wanted to go on being rough and intimidating and hostile to those under him. He didn't want to be a different person, changed by the Lord. When you come to God, make sure the right things are in your heart and that you're ashamed, and you repent, and you desire a new life, which only he can give, and only Christ can earn for you by what he's done on Calvary's cross. So, verse 31, here's the outcome. When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. 
and the man's, the, the regional governor's hypocrisy was exposed. In the parable, there are informers at work. Good for them. And they tell on this regional governor. And they tell the story. Of course, in reality, God doesn't need any informers. He knows all things. He knows you've defrauded him. He knows you've kept your life for yourself. He knows you've rejected him. He knows you've cheated him and you haven't paid your homage and your debts to him. He doesn't need anyone on earth to tell him like the king in the parable. He knows it all the time. Then his lord, the king, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me, simply because you asked. That's all you have to do to come to Christ. Just ask, but ask in the right spirit. Be sincere. Be ashamed of your sin. Ask for new life. Ask him to reconcile you with himself so that you can love him and serve him. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Just look at the end of this. And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors. The Greek says torturers. Those prisons in those days must have been pretty awful places. If the prison keepers and warders thought it was part of their job to be torturers, but that was the time. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The sum was so vast that would be never. In other words, eternal punishment is in the parable. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Dear friends, the most important thing in life is to be right with our God and to come to him and to receive his mercy and his forgiveness, his kindness, his free salvation, and all his love, and to appreciate what Christ has done for our needy souls. That's the most important thing. That's life, new life, and eternal life. Don't be like the regional manager. He pictures us before we truly come. If we should pray, it's just for ourselves, no shame, no desire for God, and to obey him. Make sure you approach him in the right spirit, and you will surely find him. Let's pray. Oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, work in our hearts, show us our need, 
draws to thyself, shows Calvary and the dying love of Christ, all may be our Saviour and our trust, our Redeemer. Look upon us all and bless us this night. We ask it in the name of Christ for his sake. Amen. Amen.